Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast episode. I've got a really interesting guest, fantastic guest. Her name is Dr. Ann Welsh, and she's a clinical psychologist. She's also an executive coaching consultant, and she's got a really interesting story. I'll let her share with you about medical school, and I'm really happy to have her on the show. We're going to talk about... Uh, resiliency, work-life balance, leadership, you name it. So Dr. Welsh, Anne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm all my, I always like to go on a first name basis on my show and make it more personal. So um, yes. is it okay if I call you Anne? Yes. And all of my patients and clients <laughs> do too. So oh, excellent. excellent. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of tell people your story and background and how you got started. Yeah, well, um, yeah, you mentioned my my history around med school. So I am the child of two doctors. So both of my parents were doctors, um, and which was pretty rare in the 80s when I was a kid to have a mom that was a doctor too. Um, and I was like all about STEM and my parents were really supportive of that. Like they gave me a Grey's Anatomy coloring book when I was like eight for Christmas and I was actually excited about it. And they would even label presents like to Dr. Kavanaugh, that was my maiden name. Um, like I was all about it. I took extra science classes in the summer. I went to nerd camp, like loved it. I kept doing that and I got into med school and I wasn't excited about it, right? Like for the first time I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. Is this actually what I want to do? Or is this, you know, I like science, but is this just the thing I've been seeing and, and didn't really give myself the opportunity to think about any other options. And to this day, I'm not quite sure how I kind of was brave enough to make the decision to not go. And my parents thought I was crazy. And I don't know how they had the tolerance to let me not go. But we all survived. I became the other kind of doctor. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm really glad for that. I, I think I was actually more interested in the the, the people element and kind of making sense of people. And, you know, I went into clinical psychology, my research, I had two lines of research when I was um, doing more research focused career, I was looking at career development and kind of how people make these decisions about career. That was honestly, one of the things that was interesting to me, especially given my own trajectory. And then I was also looking at women's health and the transition to motherhood. And kind of over time, my career has morphed in different ways. Um, I ended up being at Harvard for a while as a staff psychologist there. And that had been kind of my dream job. I was doing a lot of student mental health. I love working with the students there. They were like such interesting kids. Um, 
but I ended up having uh, a family of my own. I have four kids now. And I just thought this is not kind of sustainable. I'm burning out in terms of the intensity that is student mental health work and trying to be present at home. And so I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but I left to form my own practice. And, and again, it was a pivot I didn't see coming and I've really enjoyed it. Um, and then, you know, in that, uh, since then I've been, uh, adding on executive coaching and consulting um, and just thinking of other ways to, in particular, support working parents um, and women in general. And because I'm in the Boston area, a lot of my patients and my clients are still either in healthcare or in STEM. It just seems to be a really big industry. And, and given my own background, I kind of get that world a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. You actually have a lot of uh, interesting, your story has a lot of parallels to mine, I, I got out later. You know, I, I love med school, but I hated, you know, working for the hospital and residency. Yeah. And that, that was a bit traumatic. But, um, and then uh, I can actually remember the first day of med school, you know, I had classmates and they were, um, and they went in the first day and then they turned, they dropped out the next day because they were like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> the, that's an interesting story. Two or three of them, they, they showed up on orientation day one and then they dropped out the next day. They're like, I don't want to do this. Which is, uh, you know, we all make our choices. There's not just one path for success. Um, so kind of talk about, you talk, you talk about this idea of dropping the ball and surviving as a working mom. What is What does that mean? Yes. Like I said, one of the groups that I do a lot of work with is, is working parents and working mothers in particular. Um, and, you know, so often this idea comes up around, I'm going to screw up or I'm failing at everything, right? Like I'm a bad mom, I'm bad job, doing a bad job at work, I'm behind, etc. And so one of the things that I, I talk with them about, and, and this is true, whether you're, you know, an entrepreneur or a physician or whatever you do, is that, yeah, you're going to screw up. Like that that's okay. That's kind of to be expected. We have these really um, unrealistic models of what we're supposed to be as an employee or as a manager or a leader and what we're supposed to be as parents. And we can't possibly do both perfectly. We can't even do one of them perfectly. That's not feasible. And so it becomes this, this idea of saying, well, Rather than thinking of it as I've dropped the ball, it's I'm going to intentionally drop the ball. I'm going to put some of these balls down. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to say, you know what? Some of these things don't align with my values. They're not important to me. So I'm just not going to do them at all. Um, and I'm going to say no to the things that don't matter and yes to the only to the things that do matter to kind of simplify my life and recognize even with that, yes, I'm still going to drop the ball sometimes and that that's okay, right? A lot of the balls we're juggling are rubber. They're going to bounce. Yeah, we got to go pick them back up, but they're not glass. They're not going to shatter. Um, and so kind of it's this mixture of boundary setting and tolerating imperfection and tolerating um, mistakes as we grow and learn. Yeah. You actually brought up a lot of key points, especially for the audience out there, a lot of us, a lot of doctors listening. And you talk about, you know, from your early experience, you know, kind of setting your, charting your course and path and kind of, and also like professionally, what I find is, you know, a lot of physicians, <clears throat> we were people pleasers and, you know, we had, we had help, you know, kind of uh, very involved parents. And, you know, there was kind of like, you know, you do this, you do this. But now you talk about this idea of aligning with your values and saying no. So 
yeah, as a people listening, how can people um, use no and boundaries and to kind of guide their choices, career choices, personal choices, relationship choices, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think that's an excellent question. And I will say I am totally a reformed or for we're still reforming people pleaser, right? <laughs> like I think, you know, a lot of us that go into medicine, even those of us that leave want to help. We want to be of value to other people. We care about people. We're really rewarded for that tendency, right? Like your parents love it if you're a people pleaser, right? You get a lot of positive feedback and yet you cannot please anybody. So I think, you know, we stop asking ourselves what we want or what we value because we just let everyone else kind of tell us what those things are. And to shift that into asking, what do I want? What do I value? Um, is really challenging. And so part of that is taking the time to just do it, right? And maybe even starting really small. Maybe it's, I've never even thought about what I want for dinner versus what my kids will eat or what my spouse wants. Or um, maybe I don't really think about what I want to do over the weekend. I just wait for people to tell me what they're doing and join in. And so kind of on those really small scales, asking what do I want? What's important to me? Um, you can also kind of access those values by there's lots of exercises online. You know, if people are curious, they can shoot me a DM. There's a couple free ones that I can send um, to you where whether they're like a list of values that um, you can kind of pick and choose from or some quizzes. But once you have those values in place, then that becomes kind of a North Star for how I'm going to say no to things. And the thing with boundary setting or saying no that I try to remind people is that no and yes always come hand in hand. So if I say yes to something that someone else is asking me to do, I am inevitably saying no to something else. As long as I'm okay with that, no, that's fine. But you have to ask, am I? So if, I, if I'm asked to see a couple extra clients or in a couple extra patients at the end of the day, I can say yes to that, but that's going to come at the cost of either maybe my workout or my sleep or my time with my kids. If I'm okay with that for that day, great. But if I'm not, I'm going to be resentful and unhappy seeing those patients. I'm not going to be providing very good care. And everyone's going to feel it, essentially, right? So you have to think about time is finite. It's one of the few things in the world that is totally finite. And so I have to choose really intentionally how I'm going to spend it. I help physicians with career transitions. And a, one of the things is just like boundaries, either intentional, being very intentional about, um, so you're not, because as health, we're, we don't have a lot of time freedom. So we have to kind of, saying no, which you describe. And I, I love this idea because Buffett, Warren Buffett said, you know, if you say yes to thing, one thing, you're saying no to a thousand things. And if you say no to one thing, you're actually, you know, saying yes to kind of, it's, it was really profound quote, um, which brings me to my next question is this idea of, um, so, you know, kind of people pleasing and this, setting boundaries, but then these kind of traits, guilt, shame, leads into imposter syndrome, perfectionism, especially for um, professional females in STEM, it can really take a toll. So talk about how listeners can battle imposter syndrome and perfectionism. So the first thing to know is that it, it seems like we're not allowed to talk about imposter syndrome or somehow if we say we have it, then we're actually saying we aren't qualified. And the reality is, 
everybody struggles with it on some level, right? I think it is the number one top fear of most people in executive leadership is that they will somehow be found out to not know, be, to not know what they're doing. And the reality is most people in leadership don't, right? They're all learning as they go. They're figuring it out as they go along because that's what learning a new skill is like, right? I, I think as humans, as adults in particularly, we're really bad at learning new things. Kids are great at it. They don't, for the most part, they tolerate that like, yes, if I'm going to learn how to play the piano, I'm going to probably be pretty bad at the piano and eventually get better. As adults, we're not so good. I am learning to ski as an adult to try to be able to hang with my kids. Um, it's very humbling. It's super embarrassing to be the woman that falls at the top of the ski lift because I don't know what I'm doing. And it's uncomfortable, but the only way I'm going to learn how to do this is to do it and fail. And so I try to like set that mindset out there to begin with, right? That mistakes are the way that we learn. Um, and the only way we're going to become more comfortable doing leadership roles is to practice and try things. I mean, I think those are the big pieces. And then the other thing is to recognize that just because we think something doesn't mean it's true, right? Thoughts are not facts. Um, thoughts are just thoughts. And so the idea that like, oh, I'm not good at this, that doesn't mean you aren't good at it. It may mean you need to learn, but it also just may be that you're not feeling super confident yet. And confidence is something you can grow over time. Yeah. I, I battle on impulse, you know, sometimes, you know, before, you know, uh, a speech or something, I feel like, man, I'm not qualified. And, you know, I just yeah, get butterflies and um, you just have to, you know, take the right action and just, you know, execute it and Preparation helps. Um, this is interesting because you talk about working parents and uh, burnout among working parents and the workplace. Kind of, so we'll talk about kind of um, uh, burnout. Why is burnout so high among working parents? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, burnout is um, high for everybody right now. But I think the thing that's particularly challenging for working parents is you're, you're essentially doing two full dots two full-time jobs simultaneously. And even if you have a lot of help as far as childcare goes, you're still doing that kind of mental load piece of parenting all the time, right? So it is really easy to say, I just need to stay up and do all the things and find yourself burning out. I think we are really socialized to see parents as martyrs and we are socialized to say, you know, like to worry about, how our parenting is going to affect our work. So we end up trying to kind of burn the candle at both ends. And the reality is you have to start seeing these things as integrated and that your parenting actually fuels your work. It makes you a better employee. Yeah, maybe you can't work. Maybe you do have to leave at five o'clock for that daycare pickup. But there are so many leadership skills that you develop as a parent that make you a better employee or that kind of assist your uh, leadership style or any of those things. You know, I talk a lot um, with clients and with companies about those leadership lessons of parenthood, because I think it's really important to recognize that this is all coming out of one bucket, so to speak, of, of your time. And so that's where I think the burnout comes in, right? If we, if we try to think of these as separate silos that we have to perform and excel at, we're going to run out of time in the day. So what are five things companies can do to create a culture of valuing working parents and retain them, supporting them? You know? Yeah, well, so I think, you know, to that point, right, to those values that um, 
parents bring to the workplace. A, recognizing that and, and creating a culture of trust that parents are doing their best and that they want to perform, right? I mean, consistently across the board. I've never had a parent client come in, at, you know, for executive coaching saying, you know, I really don't care that I'm giving C performance at work. I'm just here for, to you know, showing up for the paycheck, right? From the most part, they want to do well. It's more often, I don't know how to fit all of this in and I'm struggling and I don't have the flexibility I need and how do I improve my performance at work? So if there's this culture of trust that your parents are working really hard, that is step number one, right? If you trust that that parent that leaves at five o'clock to make the daycare pickup is probably signing back on to do their notes after kids go to bed or to write that presentation or to work on that publication. Um, and with that in tandem is flexibility, right? And so not every job can be done from home. I get that. Um, but if there can be flexibility around the hours worked, around when people show up, around working from home when that is an option, that, again, that together with the trust that people are doing the best they can is going to give parents a little more wiggle room when something comes up, as inevitably it does with, with kids. Um, so those are the first two things. And then the other three are more along the lines of kind of supports that they can put in. And one is, you know, any childcare benefits that a corporation can put in is amazing and helpful. Childcare is a huge issue right now for my working parents. Um, and then the other two pieces are different sorts of executive coaching. If you sponsor coaching for a working parent, that says, hey, we value you. We want you here. And it, parents are going to take that, they're going to be able to use it, and they're going to be more effective employees and leaders. And then the other piece along that is supporting parental leave, both with good parental leave policies that are for both genders of parents, not just birthing parents, um, and parental leave coaching so that there's some support for folks transitioning back into work in terms of how to do that and how to reintegrate. Yeah, really interesting because I was reading an article on LinkedIn talking about this childcare crisis, which is, uh, you know, it's kind of eye-opening, just kind of, uh, you know, people needing to, you know, have, you know, people take care of their kids or the parent, actual parent have to take care of their kids. So moving on, you know, a lot of the audience out there are female physicians, entrepreneurs, executives. So kind of talk about how women in STEM or, you know, other fields can feel more confident in their leaderships and kind of some of the barriers and how can they address those barriers? So the first thing I always like to say is like, is to, to let people know that you are not wrong when you pick up on discrimination in the workplace as a woman in STEM or anywhere else, right? I mean, mm -hmm. There's great data, you know, just in terms of the, the healthcare and STEM piece, um, you know, women are still less likely to be called doctor. So, and so, I mean, I know you and I are here are going by our, our first names, but, you know, if you are in a workplace setting and you have your MD or your PhD, women are simply less likely to be called doctor. They're more likely to be called Mrs. or by their first name than men. And, mm -hmm. and that is kind of across industries. Um, and, you know, just in 2022, I believe there was that it was a nature paper that came out that looked at the fact that women are much less likely to be named authors on uh, scientific papers and not because they're contributing less, but because of a variety of discriminatory factors, which I won't right. go into today. But if anybody's curious, you know, shoot me a DM and I can get you some more of the data. 
Um, so I, I say that because it's really helpful to acknowledge when we're playing a rigged game, right? Mm-hmm. You're not wrong when you're picking up on this. This is harder and you're working kind of against the grain. So that validation, I think, can go, can kind of be an important step. Knowing that, though, you know, are there still things they can do for sure? And and I think a lot of it comes down to building confidence, which is something, you know, as I was saying earlier, we can build and we can do over time. Um and so one of the big pieces there is to uh, a little CBT background, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? I'm pulling from the therapist part of me. You know, we have thoughts, feelings, and actions, and they all interplay. And our thoughts may be telling us, nobody wants to hear what you say in this meeting, or you don't have anything important to say. But our behaviors need to be that we speak up to get heard, to get noticed, right? And so if we change the behaviors, will eventually change those thoughts. Our, our brains don't like dissonance. They want to act in a way that aligns with our thoughts. So if we change our behaviors, those thoughts will eventually change. It feels kind of anxiety provoking at first, but the more you practice behaving, speaking up, raising your hand, self-promoting, all of these things that essentially we're told not to do as women, the more you're going to get seen and rewarded. Um, and it feels uncomfortable because it's hard, not because you're doing something wrong. Hmm. Yeah, really interesting. That's one of the reasons why uh, I went into entrepreneurship because, you know, you, as you mentioned, the game is rigged. You are, you're going to hit a ceiling quite frequently, but as an entrepreneur and you know, things like you're doing, like kind of new approach to therapy, et cetera, is really interesting. Um, how can people contact you, follow you, reach out to you, check out your work, et cetera? Yeah, sure. I mean, the easiest way is to check out my webpage, which is www.dranwelsh.com. Got information there on um, my therapy practice, but also on my executive coaching practice. Um, I'm also launching a working moms group coaching program this January. Um, if people want to check that out, I would love to have, it's going to be a small group, only about 10 women. So there's not a ton of spaces. Um, but I do still have room left. And if people are interested, that's another place to get information. Um, they can also follow me on LinkedIn at dr.welsh.coaching. Uh, or sorry, Instagram at dr.welsh.coaching and LinkedIn at Dr. Ann Welsh as well. Yeah. Yeah. And for all the listeners out there, let's thank uh, Dr. Ann Welsh and for coming on to the show and um, really interesting conversation among colleagues and all of her resources will be in the links and show notes. And thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Awesome. Again, thanks for having me. This was fun. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. you are listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week